My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Hilder. Welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. This week on the show, spiritual avant-garde jazz keyboardist Surya Bhattopasina. His latest album is called Everyone's Children, and it was created in collaboration with previous Transmissions guest Carlos Nino, as well as members of Surya's family and other collaborators. He grew up on Alice Coltrane's ashram in the Southern California hills, which profoundly shaped his spiritual and musical worldview. We're discussing all that and much more on today's episode of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. If you dig the show, and I hope you do, feel free to drop me a line and let me know what you're thinking of specific episodes or whatever else you might want to share. You can find my contact info over at Aquarium Drunkard, where you will of course also find our online magazine, which is filled with interviews, essays, mixtapes, lanyap sessions, an Aquarium Drunkard goods supply, and a lot more. If you want to support Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions, please consider joining Aquarium Drunkard's Patreon community. As we ease into this interview, we're going to play an excerpt of one of the most incredible songs on everyone's children. Please enjoy this excerpt of Surya Meditation. You are tuned into Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Glad to have you here.
Surya, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. I have really been enjoying spending time with your record, Everyone's Children. It's terrific, and uh, I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The record came out, was it fall of last year? Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. In the first week of November. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So just about as we head into to winter, it's such a frustrating thing, I imagine, as a musician, because you put a record out in November and people are already thinking about the next year. I feel like our pace of um, consumption is just out of control. You, it's like we're always months ahead. You know what I mean? I think I was happy that the record could come out when it could come out. Um, we had a couple of different, you know, target dates for when it was going to be released. And, um, you know, those had to be modified due to all of the, you know, um, reasons that a lot of people's worlds had to be modified because of, you know, whether it be supply chain or um, just the availability to cut vinyl. Right. Um, or, other reasons that had nothing to do with those things, just, you know, that's the way that esoterically it was to be. So the album came out on the day it was supposed to come out, although it was not the day that was originally planned. And, you know, as far as us as people, like, you know, we're just, we very rarely just accept the here and now for the yeah. here and now. So, I think that's something that I that reminds me of as I think of um, in this moment. The here and now is so important. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's really cool about a record like this one is the way it does encourage that. I mean, just like the opening, the opening meditation, there's a sense in which Music comes from a lot of places. You can tell I'm stumbling around this one. I feel like music comes from a lot of places if for different people. Some people, it comes from uh, a desire to express themselves. Some people, it comes from a desire for attention. You never know. It, there's a million reasons why somebody might play music. But every now and then, I'll hear something. And this is the case with that, that opening track. And you just know that it's coming from a place of great depth and sensitivity and care and openness. And when you hear something like that, it just connects and you feel like it's a it's a weird sensation. You feel like it's the sort of song that's always existed somehow. You're just now hearing it. You know, it was already playing, and then when it finishes, it's still playing somewhere. It's it's just it exists and it is. I don't know if that's a little too. You know, I don't I don't know how any of that strikes you, but I, I was floored and moved by the by the beauty and the um the space carved out by by this record. I'm I'm glad you feel that way. The record is um. You know, and talk about the reasons why we play music. And then this record, you know, my reasons for playing music changed over time. Um, at first, I wanted to play music because it was like the thing that I saw people who inspired me do. And then 
I wanted to play music because like I had friends and they were doing really well. So there was this competitive aspect that I felt. Um, and then once I realized that that was a, a total myth and a fallacy for my own existence, it then turned into, I wanted to play music because of a space of gratitude that I felt um, just for having a life that I've had and also knowing that at this point, I feel that the music I want to be a part of at least is a music is a sound is a frequency that promotes that advocates some sort of introspection back to the here and now some sort of uh, mental health and wellness due to the invisible struggles that a lot of us, including myself, go through on a day to day basis, whether it's depression, which is what I um, was diagnosed with, or whether it's anxiety, or whether it's all of the things on the mental health spectrum, bipolar disorder. I don't even want to call that a disorder. That's just a situation. Um, and on down the list, and that's just the invisible ones, let alone the just the basics of like dealing with maybe grief, you know, missing a loved one or, um, you know, having a relationship, like a marriage and like these things are very, very impactful for us as human beings. And so I was hoping that my record could be something that could be of assistance to a person's moment as they navigate whatever it is that they go through in their day. Cause I, submit that um human life as beautiful as it is and it is beautiful is also filled with peaks and valleys um and we have a tendency to really feel those valleys heavy so this was just a ode to me feeling like everyone we're all children of something whatever you believe in like we're all children of mother earth we're all you know citizens of the planet I'm, on, I'm very non-denominational about this. This is not a religious situation that I'm promoting. Sure. Um, or, or, you know, trying to advocate. But in the spirit of just oneness, of one love, of service, of just universal love, man. Yeah. I was hoping that my record could just be a, a you know, another another pebble in the in the lake. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I I do. I wonder for you as a creator, as somebody who's who's making this stuff and is bringing that intention to your art, do you find that when the music fills that need for you personally, when you're experiencing that sensation of oneness or peace in your own music. I mean, is that sort of something that you're always on the lookout for so that when that happens, you know, okay, maybe there's a chance that it's going to do that for somebody else as well? I mean, is it sort of a conscious thing you have to, when it when it hits that zone? Because I think it's so funny, music is, the closer you make something idiosyncratic and reflect your own personal inner space, is is once it gets to that point that's when it can do that for somebody else it's the weirdest thing in the world we always think that the most universal stuff is going to be the the vaguest expressions but it's not the case at all right it's the opposite it's the more I think, 
that's a new jack thing of like um you know kind of reflective of our of our times that we live in this this instant gratification um place where uh, the aforementioned aspect of what you mean as far as something idiosyncratic to oneself and how that could be um, relatable well the word that always pops up in my mind when um these things are so relatable say especially of the you know the songs of yesteryear like motown and all those great eras one of the biggest qualities to me that i enjoyed of those songs was vulnerability this intense amount of obvious blatant vulnerability um in this point i submit that we having emotional vulnerability having spiritual vulnerability that to me is yes where i hope to feel and i hope to really have a personal connection to absolutely and if that personal connection from my own life experience is one that another can relate to in their own a vulnerability or as i like to also term an emotional courage then great we're on to you know something that at the very least might help our day and yeah. i really want to look at it on that here and now aspect you know is that our our day our our right now like i've been raised with the um with the reality and not in a morbid sense that tomorrow is not promised and so that vulnerability of that you know idiosyncratic experience to me is like is really really a target you know yeah it's really a, a an aspiration and you know it doesn't happen every time you know we try <laughs> sure <laughs> we, sure <laughs> we do our best you yeah know, when you when you do capture that moment you're like oh this is amazing you know yeah, and it makes all the moments that that doesn't come that much more uh, frustrating, right? You're like, oh, no, I know because it doesn't. No, I, no? I actually no, I, I I'm on another side of that because you know you got to practice your whatever it may be to actually be proficient. You know, right? Like learning how to drive a car, you just don't get on you know the highway and go eighty. You know, you got you got to start in a parking lot or you got to start in some quiet street, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you can just figure out how to go for, you know, four inches. So for me, it's like the other moments that are, um, you know, that are, will look like they're setbacks or whatever. It's just, it's just part of it because I think anybody that's ever celebrated like a really incredible, like big achievement, what you don't remember is the night that you were coronated. What you remember is the process. Yeah. So that's where for me, you know, this whole process of how, like, for instance, this record came about, that to me is something that I remember just as much and that I'm starting to hold on to, you know, more and more of because yeah, it's um you know, there's a flow, you know, there there's a flow that it's going to have some obstacles yeah. because that's just the nature of, of our existence. Apparently. I mean, it's great when it's smooth sailing, like it's amazing, but well, yeah. 
Yeah, and the friction and the obstacles often uh, give the work and the art a, a character. They add something to it that is essential. So, yeah. Yeah. I think you put it really beautifully earlier when you said this album came out the exact day it was supposed to come out because you know that that's it that's what what else is there right? yeah, what could I do and and I mean the excitement for me the anticipation like yeah this is my you know it's my first album so of course I want it out you know of course I want it out but it um you know and the reasons why I wanted it out you know, obviously talked about, I'm just glad it happened. Like I'm so, yeah, you know, this point, I'm so thankful. Like I'm so glad that, you know, that Carlos and, you know, really, really pushed hard to make it happen along with him and Jesse. And, um, I'm so happy that Mark and the spirit news, like really, really just got behind the whole process, you know, especially as we, um, you know, especially as we move forward with the actual components of releasing it, you know. Yeah. I'm so happy that Nepsidu provided his beautiful artwork for the cover and really, you know, for the whole the whole thing. So I'm I'm just so glad it happened. I'm actually still a little bit like in shock that it happened in a good way. That's beautiful to hear. Carlos has been on this show before, and he is a far out cat. I really enjoy, I really enjoyed talking with him, and to put it in like the broadest terms, just trying to get on his level in terms of his creative expression, the way he talks about what he's doing. Just trying to get on that level was um, like a beautiful, fun experience for me. So I imagine making a record with the guy is even, even more so. You know, um, I am, have you guys known? You guys have known each other for probably for for a little while. We met a long time ago, um, and there was always like a, an orbit, uh, you know, of of him. But we really, really met, you know, um, when he was doing another. And he had his own band, a large size band called the Building Art Orchestra. That was the first time I like played with Carlos, even though um, we grew up in a similar area in Southern California. Our paths truly didn't meet until um, his his orchestra was playing a concert that he was kind enough to invite me to be a part of. And then from there, it was like, we should make a record and it's like okay cool well 10 years passed <laughs> and sure you know different things happened and life happened and i would play um he was kind enough to you know facilitate me playing at um his spot over in venice and even still over the years when i was playing at that spot in venice it was like yeah we're we're, you know, we're great. And I, I love the guy. And then it turned into like, we should make a record. And then once we started making the record, like he and I, our bond as brothers really, really solidified even deeper to now where he's one of my, my closest friends. He's not just the producer of my album at all. Like 
I care about him and love him as a person more than anything. Yeah. Music can be put to the side tonight and I'll really, really be more interested about his life experience and how he's, um, how he's feeling. And he's very, very, um, he's, he's loyal to the bone. Like he's such a good friend. That's yeah. the part of his record and our record that is really conveyed is that there's this really beautiful friendship because what people don't get to hear and see on a day to day, if you will, are the conversations that he and I had about the album, the emails, the um, different exchanges. And they were, they were never contentious. You know what I mean? Like where people hear about like, Oh, I got into it with my producer. And you know, it was like, Oh, we had this big blowout. He didn't have any of that. Yeah. If anything, he like, he had the like, one day he had to talk me off of like the, you know, I was feeling really nervous, even about the first piece of the album. I'm like, it's really, really long. He's like, no, this is like, trust me, this is the way it should go. And I'm just like, oh, man, I don't know. You know, like right. having an incredible amount of self-doubt. I was having so much self-doubt. And he was so reassuring and like gave me so much confidence, which is an invaluable gift you can give another human being is confidence. And in that zone being like a collaborator with him now on multiple projects since we even started recording my album has just been really really fun for me and i'm so like i'm so happy to be in his creative community yeah that's incredible you talked about where you grew you grew up uh and the, you two grew up not far from each other and um, so for listeners who don't know, you, you grew up in um, Alice Coltrane's ashram in Santa Monica, right? It was in Santa Monica? It's in the Santa Monica Mountains, but Santa the Monica. actual town is called Agora, where, okay. where I grew up. Feel free to take this question as wide or as narrow as, as you wish, but on a general level, wh what was it like growing up, growing up there? You know, there's um not a day that goes by where I'm not in some sort of reflection or remembrance of my childhood and where I grew up because it was that special. Yeah. It was that beautiful. And don't get me wrong, there are moments in it which were really, really um challenging to understand. Um not all moments of it were, you know, perfect in certain ways, but that that's like 1% that was challenging. Then the other majority of it was, it was so incredible because I woke up every day knowing that I was in an environment that promoted happiness wellness community these things that a lot of us like seek out for our whole lives mm -hmm. i woke up every day just in it like i inherited this existence that i'm like how did i get so lucky where i'm in a place where spiritual wellness where loving communication 
where the sounds of the outdoors, Southern California weather. So we're doing pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's 15, 20 minutes tops, maybe, you know, to go to the Pacific Ocean. You know, there was every part of this that um I really was super happy about. And then to have that spiritual wellness and guidance be guided literally by such an exalted, you know, being in Swamini Turiya and to have this most selfless, most generous, most, you know, cosmically strong and ultimately pure example of devotion to have this human being who then, you know, after all that happens to be the most finest master musician that I'll ever come across in my life. Right. And to sit there every week and listen to her play the organ. It's profound. Yeah. It's profound. Like for a lot of music fans, like imagine going to a concert every week of the person whose music you admire the most. And like, it's a guarantee. Like every Sunday at two o'clock, I'm going to be sitting and listening to the greatest musician that I admire every week. Like, can you imagine? No. <laughs> like every Friday night, I'm at Stevie Wonder's house, just listening to him play his whole catalog. Like and that's the level, you know what I mean? Right. That's, that's the level of like, you know, of, of musicianship. And then to, have that in conjunction with this spiritual example of how to how to live yeah yeah it was it's amazing the way that i was able to grow up and to go through you know my entire you know general grade schooling years you know my formative years you know, grade one through, you know, last year of high school to be in this ashram. It was incredible. Yeah. The the name that that she took, uh Taria Sangitananda uh, Nananda. Good, good job, man. Good I, job. Good I job. Got, you did I, I got I got close. You did um, it. You did it. That name translates, right, I believe, to the transcendent bliss of God's highest song is as as how I've seen it translated. Um, in its in its most elongated form, yeah, or the highest song of bliss is kind of the, um, from what I understand, yes. So I mean, I'm just curious how you know you you talked about hearing her play every Sunday at two, and and I just wonder. I want to phrase this right because it's it feels to me like it's a simple question on one hand, but maybe a a, a, um, a more complex one on the other, which is when you grow up in something, you don't necessarily um, know, you're not conscious that you're growing up in something because you're growing up, you're experiencing it. Your experience is reality and it's happening, so what's there to question? But I'm... But I wonder kind of when or how you became aware of the idea of music as a vehicle for 
sacred intent because the performances you're talking about seeing her at the organ it's devotional music that's taking place right i mean this is music that is this is music in the music in the worship space it's called the mandir um which is a for loose translation for people a temple or you know or Mm -hmm. church you know what i mean is the way people would understand it so yes, we're seeing her every Sunday, not not perform, but lead us chanting yeah. in this worship space. So being cognizant of music as a uh, with devotional intent, it's actually all I knew. Yeah, you know, starting off, I didn't realize that music was used for other purposes called performances until you know. After I saw that music was a devotional, uh, for lack of better words, exercise or activity. Yeah. And that sounds so mundane to say it like that. But <laughs> just this this way of, of worship in this very um, communicative, creative, and ultimately joyous, blissful form. Yeah. So I my memories of music being devotional are from as young, some of the own first memories that I have, like sitting with my mom, you know, as a little, little, little dude, you know, three years old and listening to her repeat the Gayatri mantra over and over again while she's meditating outside. Like that was one of the first things musically I remember. And then all the other stuff, you know, when it came to chanting and listening to, you know, See, what I didn't realize was the level. Like, I didn't realize that the person who I know is Swamini Turiya Sangi Tananda, I didn't know Alice Coltrane at all. Right. I had no idea that that was the person who existed in the music world. I didn't find that out until I was about really 10 or 11. You know what I mean? Like, that the, the weight of that name in avant-garde music. Right, right. Or jazz, as people like to call it. Right. And um, once that realization happened, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then years went by, and now I'm practicing being a piano player, and I'm trying to get better, and I start to see more and more, like, the gravity of the being that I'm me, I'm just sitting there in our worship space in our mandir in our temple every Sunday. When I'm just sitting there, just like, wow, this sounds really great. I feel amazing after I leave. But, yeah, you know, I'm listening to my mom and all of our community, my pops, all of our community sing joyously. Like, it didn't start to consecrate more and more until, you know, until I started gaining a couple years on the planet. But even now, I can't say that I understand it, you know? Sure. I experienced it. I can't be like, this is exactly why it sounded this way. This is exactly why I felt this way. Right. No, I'm still seeking, man. I mean, I just wonder, I feel like we all, if you grew up in some sort of faith community or you grew up with there being a spiritual dimension uh, applied or that can be accessed through 
musical um, means. I grew up in church, and I remember, you know, singing hymns, and there were lots of times when I was a kid where we're just singing hymns, and I'm not feeling anything. I'm just a kid, and I'm just singing mm. a hymn, you know? But then there were times, some some of them when I was very young, where I do remember feeling connected to something that was beyond me and knowing that the music had something to do with how I got to that space, you know? Mm -hmm. And in terms of that mystery, I'm, I'm glad it's a mystery because it's like, that's the, that's the, that's the joy in it, right? That's the, that's the trying to get back to that space. That doesn't even sound right when I say trying to get back to that space, but, but just having that presented as an example in our young years is 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 fascinating, and to imagine that it's Alice Coltrane being the one who's guiding me is is a tremendous thing to imagine and to reflect on. So it's it's so it's so you know I'm I'm captivated by those videos I've seen of her mid eighties public access show uh, Eternity's, Eternity's Pillar. Pillar. Yeah. Oh, oh, on KTTV, I think is what it was. Her sermonizing is just so transfixing. Uh, yeah. the, the visuals, the sound, the colors, the way that everything is presented on that show. It's, I don't know how much that is like the situation you grew up in, or if, do you remember, do you have any memories of that show? Were you ever of around course. when that was, Yeah. Of course, my mom is singing, and um, you know, when there's the chanting part, yeah. you, my mom is right there and close to the front row. And I remember when that was being, um, you know, talked about when it was being, you know, when I saw it happening. And then, particularly, there's a couple parts in there that are very, very indicative of where we grew up. I mean, a lot of it is because it's her, but the chanting, the, that chanting, the way that you saw her sitting and everybody sitting and chanting, facing her, that was, that was every week. Yeah. That's it. It looked different. It was in a different space as far as like the location, but that was every week. And, um, then for her, when she would speak, you know, when she would give, as you mentioned, something which one would equate to a sermon, it's called satsang, the divine discourse. Her speaking voice is so unique, such a unique um, sound and so, so powerful and powerful in that, that, um, powerful at the lowest volume, you know, mm. even though her, her volume level would change in emphasis points, but that time was very, was very profound because of the whole experience. So to have these deep, very incredibly layered life lessons spoken about in sacred texts such as the Bhagavad Gita 
quoted on a weekly basis and, and expounded upon, and then to go into the music, singing in uh, Sanskrit, mm-hmm. primarily, although on other occasions, we, um, like for instance, on Christmas, she would play some hymns. And I was, you know, that special there because yeah. it gave me a view into you know, perhaps maybe her background, you know. Sure. From sure. starting, um, she she never, in my eyes personally, I never saw her be anything except incredibly open and welcoming to the sounds of all faiths and yeah. the different ways of, uh, and I was, able to have some conversations with her about it at different times. And like, you know, when we listen to the prayer call, you know, of Islam, or we listen to the different um, ways that the songs are said in Judaism or Hindu chants or any of it, it was just all universal. And it was so interesting to see when she would play a hymn just for that particular side of it. I, and then just, you know, then just listening to it just on a basic, like listening to her play organ. Oh, it's uh, so unreal, man. Unreal. I, I find that just so fascinating. One that her, yeah. Baptist roots, I think maybe is she grew up in, in the Baptist church. If I, if I remember right. Um, I think about New York City siren for you, real quick. <laughs> <laughs> there we go, folks. We got we're we're trans coastal on the on the podcast, bi coastal on the podcast this 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 week. Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and. As an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. I think about, I think, I think there's a quote that's attributed to Rumi or that I, I first read through somebody saying that Rumi had said it. Um, I should probably investigate it more, but it was to the tune of all religions, all this singing, one song is the idea. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is a statement that could make people maybe a little uncomfortable in some ways because it feels like it's flattening the expression to say that every religion is somehow the same when they're not. They are different, and those differences are part of what make them beautiful and and interesting. And yet, I feel like I do think there's some divine truth to that idea that... 
our expressions, you know, however you want to define it, if you want to use the term religious or if you'd prefer spiritual or sacred, you know, however you want to place it, it is an attempt at articulating some profound human truth that moves from me to you to anybody else, you know, which is this this sense, this awareness of maybe the divine and a desire to call to it or to acknowledge it through music or to experience it through music. And I wonder, you know, when you started playing piano for yourself, was there a spiritual component to it pretty much right away, given that that was the way you had primarily experienced musical uh, life? For me, I always wanted to be accepted by my family as a musician. And part of that acceptance was a an attempt of validation, if you will, through as a piano player, through some sort of working understanding of the music I grew up around in this devotional sense. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted acceptance and then I and you know this approval like a lot of youngsters want you know our parents to be proud of us um you know or our mentors if not our parents and for me that's where a lot of it started to derive from I just was hoping that um that Swamini in particular would be pleased with my effort as a musician because she did support um she did support me in a lot of musical ways, just an encouragement, you know, just words of encouragement mean so much. And she was so kind to give so much encouragement to me to keep going. And in that, um, I could not help but to want to play the songs of our community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because I just really sounded beautiful and they're so moving, but they musically really touched a part of my soul that I love. Perhaps, um, you know, a musical forensic investigator can tell you why this chord and that chord and all that stuff, you know. Not that I, you know, not that I can't speak that harmony, that theory language, because, you know, obviously I do. But just on a purely, you know, human experience side, I really come back to this connectivity that I wanted to have just as it being a part of my tribe, you know, a part of my life experience. And then it became imperative to my um, survival as a human being here in this, in this world that, um, you know, found myself very affected and stimulated by different things that I see. Um, not only trying to have a spiritual answer, but you know, whether it's social justice or whatever that people believe in. Yeah. Um, I do believe in social justice. I do believe um, my experience as a black man in the United States of America is not one that I've taken lightly. And it's not one that hasn't endured over the course of time. And this music has helped that for me. This music has helped me negotiate and reconcile some of the things that I feel are atrocious, at least in the point 
so I can reconcile them enough to keep having faith to keep going on. And that's mm-hmm. to me the beauty of this of this movement of spiritual jazz, of this movement of conscious music, this movement of intentional sound is that there's a purpose. And so for me, I always wanted to be part of that purpose. I wanted to, at one point, if I was lucky enough, be strong enough to, you know, to carry the, carry the torch as well as I could. Not saying that I'd ever, you know, somebody had to light the torch, and it definitely wasn't me. But at least I could try to, you know, play a part and just in reflection of my gratitude. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a potentially painful subject, but the ashram where you grew up uh, was destroyed by the Woolsey fire in 2018. Um, yeah. I wonder, did has, has that in some way strengthened or reinforced that desire to carry the torch? Because in your music... You know, there's a way through which your music that you assure that that place is not gone in some ways, right? Like it continues on. I I, I wonder that might be a little bit lofty to 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 have to no, speak to. No, it's not lofty. It's not lofty at all. It's. Uh, I agree with you. Um, so maybe we're both lofty. That's cool. That's been, <laughs> I don't mind. It's, I've probably been accused of force here on the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, the the fire in 2018 was, um, you know, this is my home. Yeah. Yeah. This is my home where I, as I mentioned, I went to my entire life of school. This is a place where, you know, my most personal moments as a human being, like I brought my children there, you know, to be blessed in the same worship space that I grew up in. And um, for a fire to, you know, modify and change it, you know, at the time, sure, I was crying my eyes out and I was really sad. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, maybe this is just like, you know, this is appropriate that it was cleansed in this sort of ceremony, you know, very much in Eastern lore, fire is a part of a purification ceremony and pujas and whatnot. So I'm like, maybe this is just one big ceremony that like, you know, you held it down for a while and now it's time to move on to another, um, right. Another chapter. Right. And for me, part of that other chapter was certainly to try to, um, pay homage to this space through not only this album, but in any album that I make in my life or any concert that I play in my life, like it's always going to be on my particular being and heart, which is why I like, it's not a coincidence that I named one of the songs, beloved California temple. (laughs) Right. It's specifically saying this is (laughs) what I'm thinking of. And, um, on my next, you know, my following projects that I'm working on, there's there will be blatant. Um, you won't have to look hard to see if I'm thinking about the ashram. I, I mean, as it should be, you know, are are the places where we spent our childhood. It's like 
we can go to those places in our mind, right? And they become something, I think, that's accessible to us. And it can be a great source of strength, you know? It can be maybe a source of, a, of many things. We need an inspiration. We need an inspiration because, like, yeah, I think one of the most interesting aspects of being a human being is that we need to feel and experience something that is vast. Yeah. For instance... I don't know one person that's ever stood on a beautiful ocean and is not reflected on their place in the universe. It's, you know, if you're just sitting there on the sand on a beach, you're like, I am just part of this whole thing. Maybe when you're driving in your car on the way to the beach or you're going through life, you know, on your, your daily duties, you feel like my world is just, you know, in the, in the box that I'm living in. But when we're sitting there looking at this body of water, right? you cannot help but to be like, this is a vast place that I am a participant in. Yeah. And so there for me, it is inspiring. I'm looking to keep that vastness in my mind, in my heart, no matter what, right. no matter what I experience, no matter what I um go through, or the things that are brought to my world, I'm looking to experience that vastness and all sides of it. Uh, I'm a Libra, so you know we we gotta we're emotional people. So, <laughs> so I want to go through the um, the entirety, the gamut of this human experience, and hopefully pay homage yes to the place that I grew up in in a way that can just say thank you and i can also say like i'm willing and i'm courageous and i'm ready to step into whatever zone that it has to be in to yeah. pay this ashram the most homage i'm i'm just getting started if i'm if i have it my way yeah. we'll see we'll, we'll see what you know we'll see what the divine says but yeah I mean, that's, want to feel vast. that's so beautiful. I wonder, you know, you played, I think I read that you were 21 when you were asked to play a piano solo at the John Coltrane Festival in Los yeah. Angeles. I mean, talk about, that was, va talk about vast, right? Like, I mean, that was so, that was, I was so nervous. Yeah. It was the first like concert, like I ever played solo. I was so nervous. Yeah. And Swamini was like, do you want to play five minutes, you know, opening up? Of course, the answer is yes. Fast forward to that day. After I had practiced and her sister came to the house and heard me practice and was kind of like, was a great musician in herself, Marilyn McLeod, great musician in herself. Some incredible stuff on that, uh, on uh, Mo, Mo, was it Mo West, the Motown? She wrote Love Hangover by Diana Ross. So that, no you know, kidding, yeah. There's, I mean, you know, just, you know. Incredible musician in her own right, yeah. Wrote a 365 Days a Year by Anita Baker that she recorded, you know, just amongst many things. Just just the, um, the highest level. So she heard me play. <laughs> And she was always so nice to me. But she was kind of like, even in her niceness, she was kind of like, well, I don't know if the kid's ready, you know? Nice. And, and I, at the moment, when she heard me practice, I was not. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah, I played that. And this is like, Eddie Palmieri was supposed to follow, you know, like, 
I was like, I'm not, I'm not ready, but I went to Swamini and I'm like, I was backstage and she, you know, there's no wasted movements by her ever. No wasted movements, no wasted words. She was just sitting quietly on the side in the wings, basically, of the stage. And I just went to her and said, oh, you know, I'm really, really nervous. My hands are sweaty the whole nine. She's just like, you know, it's okay. You know, you'll be all right. Kind of, you know, her encouragement. I forget the exact words. I went out there and I played and it got quiet. And I was playing this one moment and I heard this one person in the crowd go, yeah. Like they appreciated something I played. And at that moment, I was like, that's why I'm playing here. Yeah. I'm playing here because I, this is, this is, I'm capable, even if I don't think I'm ready. Right. And that's, that's the, the blessings of a true spiritual leader is that they, are able to give us the trials and tests that we need before we even see it. And this is like, you know, this is 10 years ahead of a timeline that I would prescribe for myself. Right. Right. But in that moment, she followed the instructions that said, give the kid five minutes. And uh, to this day, I still have the, I still have a memento from that night. Yeah, yeah. What is it? There's a plaque that was given to me for um, participating in the youthful, uh, like, basically, like, contest of yeah. that time, you know. Because it was like, if you were, if you played in the competition of the John Culture Fe- John Culturing Festival and you placed, then you would get a, um, you know, part of the grand prize was being able to perform in the, in the, main event concert if you will right uh, i i did not win but <laughs> but i i was still given the chance and uh, that was still to me to this day that's one of the nicest things that i've ever experienced that's incredible I, i'm curious uh just you mentioned how growing up you had a vision or a, an understanding of sacred music and 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 of music as a sacred expression but not really so much uh um of a context for pop culture or or pop music and i wonder when did that enter the picture for you i mean what was your relationship like with pop culture just pop growing music up as a kid for me it was um Pop music for me was a big part of a lot of things because in the 80s, you know, pop music was a big way that we socialized and that we made friends, you know? Of course. This is uh, all, all you youngsters out there. You know, they they don't. Sometimes it's forgotten that the biggest way that we would have a conversation would be what tapes we had or what songs. The radio was really big at the time. In L.A., the radio... It was between Kiss FM, Power 106, mm-hmm. and then later on, 92.3 The Beat. And then there was a couple other rock stations like, you know, K-Rock, they, they did their thing. Um, and a couple other pop music stations that also were, those would be the automatic stations you would program on your, on your stereo receiver or whatever, or, you know. Or if we had a radio, you would leave it on this station and have the, you know, 
the cassette tape in there with the button ready to record our favorite song. So for me, I was really into um, I was super into pop music because it was just part of the conversation. Also, this is at like the height of Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at this time in his prime, you know, we're all fascinated by his his art and his obviously his choreography, the whole everything that Michael is. And then I got really into Janet Jackson and I didn't realize I was into Janet Jackson because I didn't know that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that whole Minnesota movement, not realizing in my mind, looking back at it, I was like, oh, I really liked the sounds of Minnesota with Prince and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and that whole, you know, more stay at the time, like that whole vibe. And then I really was into Michael because he's just was the biggest pop star of the era. And then I'm in the West Coast now. And so in the West Coast, something incredible happened called hip hop. But in the sense of where people call it gangster rap, and I was so blown away by NWA and Ice Cube because they were so unapologetic and creative. And so for me, pop music was this juxtaposition of, you know, of musicians and artists who could really sing and dance really, really well, but then also were saying stuff so consciously heavy. So I got really into NWA. I got really into Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, I my first my first like tape that I got. I won this dance contest at my school because I was I love to dance, and I won this dance contest in my school. And what I received was LL Cool J's Bigger Endeavor. Mm. And so I got that tape and I listened to it every night, every single night. I, to this day, I could probably recite every line from every song from that tape. And then I thought, well, that's the cool way to get music. So I won more dance contests just so I can get music. Yeah. So I got Heavy D. I got his tape, listened to every single part of that. So I got a lot of love. Heavy D, but then because of that, I found Pete Rock and CL Smooth because of Heavy D and that whole crew. And then I was like, okay, this is amazing. What else is there? Then we're lucky in the West Coast that we heard pretty much everything early, or that we heard everything in a more global sense. Yeah. So I got really into the Ghetto Boys and Scarface because. They had a different sound. And then Tupac occurs later on. And so all of this, and then, you know, the whole evolution of um of West Coast hip hop and everything that we found. And then like Outcast comes out, you know. So I start I start finding my whole life in as I'm young through pop music, get really, really inspired by by a lot of it. Um, and then 90s R&B took a whole big hold on my heart. I'm probably the biggest Jodeci fan you'll ever find. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, like, well, like legitimately. It. Yeah. Because it, I love keyboard-driven music, obviously, you know, as that being my instrument. So all of this was helping me kind of navigate as a youngster, then a teenager, a way to be social with my friends, but also, like, inspiring me sound-wise. Yeah. And pop music was such a like, and we did go to public school. So going from the ashram where people don't understand, I'm the kid with a funny name. This was way before being a vegetarian was cool. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> like I was sure. a way for me to able to relate to some of my peers through this music and in and, and dance, you know, at the time. Um and then come back to the ashram. Which and is it, yeah. And it would all blend in. So I'd be sitting there on Sundays while we're chanting, listening to the music, and I'm like head bobbing, like this is like this is funky, you know what I mean? Where we're listening to these budgets and I'm like, this is so funky, like yeah. Like I'm like it's so funny, but why am I thinking of like Terminator X drums? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like what? you I mean, I don't know. You might have been the only person in there thinking of the of the Terminator X uh scratches. Or or the or the bomb squad, you know what I mean? With the Shockley brothers. Like I'm like there's I'm thinking like it's so funky, or then Dre stuff. Like I it just I'm like, this all has to be related. Like it all has to be to this point to where like now I find I find a connection personally in it for me, you well, know, I mean, absolutely. I think so much about, uh, you know, I don't know, over the last decade or so, maybe a sort of a um, a re-embrace of, of jazz among listeners uh maybe i re-embrace is maybe wrong maybe a new sort of em embrace of jazz uh coming from people like i mean carlos is part of it yourself and um, people like kamasi washington all these different people who maybe put a, a new face on that spiritual jazz tradition and it's appealing to uh you know record heads or underground music nerds etc but but I mean, like you think about somebody like Thundercat, and it's like it's a guy who came up in the the session world, right? You know, and he's and he's and he's playing on playing with Snoop or 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 whatever. And or you think about Flying Lotus, you know, the sort of electronic stuff that he's doing, and his familial ties to the culture and uh, to to Alice and Marilyn McLeod and all these types. Yeah. So, so you realize, like, I think that the the beauty of what you're talking about is that um, that syncretic approach where the music spoke to you from different places, but resonated on a similar level. You know, to me, that's uh, that's the magic of music. That's what that's it what really makes is. It really is. And I think we have to give at least for me personally, I love to give Robert Glasper a lot of love on this um i was a college classmate of his and us being at the same school he was by far you know on he was on his level of ascent um i was i yeah. didn't really i couldn't say like i was this like really like known great friend of his at the time i was just really inspired it's like oh that's just like one of the best musicians in the school so cool but then he he really um he pulled me to the side one day and gave me some advice on just like how to be a better musician just a, on a social level and it was really invaluable at the time because i didn't even see that i didn't even know that you know i thought i was just you know walking in and out of the building and nobody noticed who i was kind of vibe but i really want to give him a lot of credit because what when you mentioned new listeners to jazz um sorry certain artists who just wondered who is robert glasgow we know who he is and i have to give him a lot of credit because he 
he pushed. He pushed and pushes and pushes and pushes. And as he says, like, you know, there are many aspects of black music and we want to explore all of it. Mm-hmm. And this connectivity of the of the diaspora and of the, you know, especially when we start getting to the multinational, you know, forms of, of granted, we're not the first, you know what I mean? It's not like Dizzy Gillespie didn't, you know, have everything from Cuba. Viva Cuba, by the way. And um I still though in the last 10 to some odd years, the last 10 to 15 years, I have to really thank Robert in a big way because I feel like his pushing the way that he's pushing, the way that he feels that he wants to push is so helpful because it is look at certain labels right now and what they're signing and like you're saying and what they're playing. It's different now. And yeah, I'm happy that that works for some. For me, obviously, I'm in a different position. I'm not in a place where and I don't sound like my friends when I play. I don't um, have the same construction like they do in their own ways. And I'm saying that in a way that's actually an admiration because there's a lot of times where I I, I wish I could have some of that connectivity like they do. It's so inspired. Like nobody plays a vamp like some of Robert's bands or Keon Harold or some of my, you know, other individuals who I really admire. And now looking at Kamasi and a lot of the West Coast Movement, whether it's Thundercat, Flying Lotus, or a lot of other people who we actually need to name. But for me, I'm always looking to just be positive and be supportive of that mm-hmm. and so happy that like we can be in a sense of progressive i feel like you know my mom has been in an ungenre a non-genre you know belonging musician she's totally universal in the music that she makes like she just did this amazing album of spirituals re um reimagined if you will re-expressed and so all of this is all connected to where we can have this very large musical conversation that is needed right now i think whatever helps us feel more universally connected great like let's do it yeah yeah and i i i feel like what resonates so deeply with me about what you're saying is this notion that this music is is connected and this music is rooted in traditions that can even be subconscious, right? I mean, like, I think the work of, you know, we talk about 90s, you know, gangster rap, like G-Funk guys, and it's like, they're chopping fusion records and blue-eyed mm-hmm. soul and mm-hmm. they got you know you know uh michael mcdonald vibes going in the mix and it's like <laughs> but yeah. it's all but it's all connected and it's intuitively understood by people who are interested in that idea of progression like you said and just creating something that is expressive and something that speaks to where they're coming from and Glasper is an incredible example of somebody who has helped to broaden the notion of what 
you know, but but of course he is, right? Because like he he grew up. You could get into jazz through De La Soul records, right? You could get into jazz through all of this stuff at at you know, and so there's mm-hmm. a million ways into it, and there's a million ways of bringing it back to these other places. And when I bring up somebody like Flying Lotus, I mean. His records don't sound like your records or like anybody's records. Your records don't he's sound so, like he's so amazing. He's just on another level. But you he's get the you yeah. get the sense that there's that there's that connection. There's it's 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 a connection that goes deeper than just the aesthetic uh, sensibilities. There's a there's a it's a it's a um, it's a kind of courage to use your reference from earlier. You know, in terms of expressing something that hasn't been expressed yet. And and the belief that that can be done through music, and I feel like I feel like your record gets to that too. To close, you told fifteen questions. The great website that oh yeah, you, I, a, I have a quote here from you. You mentioned that the root of improvisation is finding to quote a balance between your sound and your between the sound and your ego, and I found that very very. Um, fascinating and wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about that notion of improvisation and how you have to where where does the ego fit into it and does the ego need to be bypassed what 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 are we talking about here uh as a life experience the least (laughs) amount of ego that we can have is probably the best thing that could go down just whatever if it's playing music or if it's just uh going to work every day you know like you can never have too little of our ego involved so i am finding out the hard way a lot of times <laughs> in improvisation though there's this um there's this hyper focus for attention that sometimes people feel that a solo is going to bring an improvisation mm-hmm. is going to bring in certain areas and for me the way that I see it, when we can introspect within ourselves our deepest place of sound and then re-express and expound from that place in a way that is only trying to contribute our biggest, most dedicated heart space to the song, to the room, to the community that may be in the space, to the band that you perhaps, if you are in collaboration, um, really to this, the soul spirit, if we can take our ego and put it as far away as possible, to me personally, we are then in a space of devotional expression. And that is where in this devotional expression, where I find the most relatable, the most transcendent of expression and sound to occur. And I'm hoping, I'm aspiring, yes, because of who raised me, I'm aspiring in who my heroes are, like a Stevie Wonder. I'm aspiring to take my ego and not need anything musically except just to be a supportive 
and truly dedicated entity to the greater force of this universal life. Yeah. And if I can do that and it's improvised or it's structured or it's non-structured, whatever it may be, then like, thank you so much for the chance for that to happen. Yeah. And I hope that I have redeemed the breath that I've been given to live this life in that sense. Music is a privilege to play. It is not a right. I have learned that even this last week. I've learned deeply how quickly um, music can go. I have, you know, my own. Um, in my heart, I can see how much that can really be a journey for people when our ego can get the best of us. I've, I've been that guy for sure. But now I'm hoping day by day that this balance that in my eyes does exist can be accessed as much as possible. And if we're lucky, it's uh it's a repeated thing that we feel. And if we're fortunate, we'll be able to share it not only with ourselves, but our loved ones and others. Yeah. Um, and they can feel that inspiration too. Surya, it's been an absolute uh, joy and privilege to hang out with you and to talk Me about too, this bro. stuff. This has been wonderful. Before we go, what's the name of your your mother's record? I, w- I want every I want all of I want to go check it out. I don't know. Oh yeah, yet. for sure. Uh, Rada Bada Fasina is her name, and it's called Carry On. Carry On. Yeah, okay. it's called Carry On. It's a a beautiful collection of spirituals with an incredible amount of wonderful musicians on there. Yeah. I'm on it too, but uh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a beautiful record. I encourage um, anyone, especially looking to hear, I think it's very important that we listen to the mothers and especially the women of music and of jazz who have been marginalized at times before and who have not been given enough due for how much they carry our sound. Where would we be without Billie Holiday, with Ella Fitzgerald, Mary Lou Williams? Dorothy Ashby, mm. Alice Coltrane. Where would we be? Uh, I don't. And, um, I don't want to know where we. You know be what I mean. Them. You know what yeah, I'm saying. I do. So uh, I mean, and I take it to not just of jazz, but you know, Aretha Franklin. Where would we be? You know, and um, so her in this this, my mother is in this lineage of the ladies who have really put forth their heart and their lives and raise their children to give us not only sound, but the strength that it takes to end quote carry on. So thank you so much for asking that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and I have really, really enjoyed this and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to speak again in the meantime. I'll keep, yeah. lis- I'll keep listening to the record and thank you uh, so much. And getting just as much out of it, I'm sure, as is the case so often with music, I'll get more out of it as time goes on. That is the, uh, that's the cool thing about it. So thank you so much for your time and for being thank with you. us here on Transmissions. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I produce, write, and host the show. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton. Our music comes from Frank Mastin and is drawn from his incredible discography of gorgeous library music. 
find more by visiting maston.bandcamp.com. That's M-A-S-T-O-N.bandcamp.com. Transmissions is executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his weekly radio program, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU, Channel 35, 7 p.m. Pacific, every Wednesday night. You get transmissions early in the morning in your podcast feed. You get The Aquarium Drunkard Show in the evening. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Visit the TalkHouse for more interviews, fascinating reads, and podcasts. Next week on the show, Jana Horn discusses her oracular folk rock and short story writing. Hope you will come back and join us for that one. Be well until then. This transmission is concluded. Find more at Aquarium Drunkard.